0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Today, I'm speaking with Carla Dunham, CMO of Foxtrot, the company redefining the convenience store with fast delivery, proprietary inventory technology, and the vibe of a neighborhood store. Carla has over 15 years of experience in brand strategy and marketing, working at companies like Target, Saks, and Equinox. Foxtrot now has 15 stores in three cities and has plans to open two more this year. Foxtrot also offers the best of its favorite foods, goods, and curated gifts available for nationwide shipping via Foxtrot Anywhere.
3: Welcome, Carla. Oh, thank you so much, Allison.
2: So, you know, you're one of those guests where, you know, it's it's super fun to talk about what you're doing now, and we're definitely going to talk about Foxtrots and how emerging brands can be successful there and all of that. But I think with someone like you who just has this sort of like vast experience in marketing and in all different parts of marketing. You know, I'd love you if you could just sort of reduce it to three or five bullet points for, you know, someone like me building an emerging brand. We don't have the bandwidth, we don't have the resources, we certainly don't have like a CMO, but, you know, what would you wish that every brand early stage would do? You know, what ducks would you have in a row? Or what would you say are like guiding principles that if you had to write Carla's book on marketing, and it was, you know, three to five little chapters. What what would those chapters be called?
3: Oh, it's such a good question because I'm often astounded by how few brands have done this really necessary work. And I really think it starts with having a story um, and knowing who you're trying to tell that story to. So mm-hmm. customer, and that story has to be based on principles or values. Um, And those values then act as guardrails as you add chapters to your story or as you add listeners to your story. Um, It sounds maybe a little bit... like I'm giving you guidance as the as the English ex English major that I am, but <laughs> that idea of having um, a point of view, which is in essence a story, right. is so essential, particularly in today's universe where products you know seldom exist simply as three dimensional objects on the shelf. Right. Increasingly, they they exist through the media of telling stories, whether it's on a podcast like this. Or whether it's on Instagram or in social or other people interacting with your product. Um, but those are things that can literally be hammered out, you know, starting with a, a founder kind of sitting in a room and, and trying to distill down what it is that they want to say and to whom right. do they want to say it and and why do they want to say it.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, what what I often come to is, you know, with a brand like Havens. You know, we always say like, we're not just like a better for you pretzel, not that there's anything wrong with being a better for you pretzel, but you know, our story is multi-layered and it can kind of come from a bunch of different angles. You know, there's a product story, there's a fresh story, there's a cooking school turned into product story, there's home cooking and the new, the new home cook you know, it's better for you. What does HPP mean? I just feel like a lot of times there's more that I want to say, than I can say, um, whether that's, you know, like in an interview or on the package or just in general, there's so yeah. much consumer education when you're trying to carve out kind of a new thing. You know, wh- what would you say? Would you Would you say, listen, just write it all down and like try to Put things into buckets. And then when you have an opportunity to like shine a light on one bucket, you know, just have it ready to go. You know, I mean,
3: yeah, I think the first instinct is um, don't edit down. You know, I think that that's there's a tremendous desire, you know, particularly with young entrepreneurs, I think to sort of think, oh, I've got to distill it. I've got to distill it. And the reality is. You know, for Mm -hmm. many new companies, and and we carry so many of them at Foxtrot, they're still trying to find their customer. So, Yes, you want to you want to have a an organized method of of or 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 um, manner of presenting yourself, but I'm often hesitant to tell brands to kind of just say only say this and only say this mm-hmm. 20 times a day because the reality is you're going to have different points of intersection with your customer. Right. Um, and you're going to want to have stories that can kind of breathe and and moments of the brand that can unpack and be expressed through different iterations. Um And I think, you know, one brand that I think does that sell well is the the Like You know, Mm -hmm. if you think about um, the way that there's the story around who the founders are, there's the stories behind the type of cuisine that they showcase. There's a story around the packaging, right? So they've got many, many different stories. But all of it is imbued with this really strong desire to reinvent what people's expectations are around cooking Asian food at Mm -hmm. home, right? And they're invested in a value that is about being proud. Of being founded by two women, mm-hmm. they're invested in being proud about um, really representing the cuisine that they are passionate about authentically, um, and those are values that whether they're talking about the best pad thai or um, how they want to approach Korean barbecue, they, that still resonates and resonates really authentically.
2: Yeah, no, I think I was going to actually ask you for you know a couple brands that are doing mm-hmm. it really well, but I think to your point, like having a story check. Different points of intersection with your customer, yeah. for sure. Having a really clear point of view, absolutely. Um, and knowing who they're telling it to, you know, definitely, you know, at least at the beginning, you know, there's kind of that like core and then mm-hmm. more like they 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 knew who they were speaking to and they did it incredibly, incredibly well. Um, anyone else that you can think of that you would point out that, you know?
3: I really I am a huge fan of what I think Midday Squares has been Mm -hmm. doing in Mm -hmm. the way that they've been you know, I think what's interesting about them is that they have a product and the product is chocolate. You know, these these wonderful Mm -hmm. chocolate bars that that um have nutritional value and they're they're great snacks but they taste delicious too so they're and that feels as i'm saying that that feels oh like super simple what have you but they're also a startup and they have sort of this manic yeah. energy around <laughs> reinventing what an energy bar can be right, right. and they've sort of embraced this idea like hey we don't quite know what the end point is going to be around us mm-hmm. but we're really committed to the process yes and that process of kind of entrepreneurial spirit guides all their storytelling yes um,
2: no, it's true. I find myself exhausted after <laughs> watching their stuff. I'm like, how do they run the business and also jump around and make videos and you know I, tell an, I'm a like question. I think, yeah. you know, the Montreal vibe. I think, you know, the it's 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 definitely true. And I mean, what yeah. you're basically talking about, I mean, you're talking about two brands that really came out of the gate super yeah. strong from like yeah. a brand identity perspective. Um and you know, I think one of the things that we've always, you know, we started as something totally different from what Mm. we are now. So trying to, you know, take the values that, that have never changed, you know, giving home cooks confidence and making them feel, you know, like more creative in the kitchen. All of those things were things that happened in our cooking school that we think we've really taken and, and sort of transposed onto our CPG product. Mm. But we never did any of that, like brand work, really, Mm -hmm. because we just we launched these sauces just as an extension of our brick and mortar. So Mm -hmm. it's been a really interesting year, you know, doing the refresh. I had Jolene on from the Working Assembly a couple weeks ago on the podcast to, you know, our logo was you know, representative of the wrought iron in our cooking school, that's Mm -hmm. totally not relevant anymore, you know? Um, So it's, it's really fun to learn about it. And then I, I guess the who is Mm. another question. So, you know, we can kind of guess at the who, and I think we can do some pretty low budget, you know, we know who our Pinterest audience is. We kind of understand who clicks on things faster than other demographics. But for young companies, like you said, we're still trying to figure out exactly
3: hmm.
2: who our core people are. Um, how do you? How would you advise an emerging brand to start figuring that out without spending much on research?
3: Yeah, it's such a great question. I mean, you know, ideally you're going to want to find a great retail partner to help you understand that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, you know, at Foxtrot, we spend a lot of time sharing sales information and customer information with our vendor base. That's um, great. And then I think, in, yeah. <laughs> independent of that, um, really pay attention to kind of the psychographic space that your customer exists mm-hmm. in. So, you know, who else are they following on social? Right. Um, What are they responding to in your posts? Um, Something that I think um, is a great strategy that's very cost-effective is just simply using content as a method of experimentation to understand your customer a little bit more, right? So yep. polling and and maybe even just trying different visual expressions of how your brand comes across. Mm-hmm. And then to the degree that, that you're able to get access to it, I think really dialing in on customer reviews yes. and seeking them out proactively. Um, yeah.
2: Well, that's why, I don't know if you listened, uh, I, my guess is that you didn't, because you are a little busy, but I had, um, Analia from who founded social nature on uh, a couple months ago. And, you know, our social nature, like, um, I feel like I should do an ad for them just Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, it's sampling, but it's so much more than sampling. We have 6,000 customer reviews, you know, for a product that is not primarily direct to consumer and so much fun, you know, going in there, obviously it's great because, you know, it's like a 4.8 average or something like that. But even, even, you know, the, the fewer star ones are, have consistencies across them. You know, they expect the gingery miso to be more miso-y, literally, you know, it's, yeah. there's a lot that you can learn from those reviews. Um, and then the SEO factor and, you know, the yeah. I, it's a great way. It, it isn't inexpensive, but I do think for other brands, it's, it's social nature is something I always kind of call out in terms of getting that information
3: it, it's such a great, um, example that you gave Allison. And, you know, I think even just sampling in general, right. Mm-hmm. So I think, and we've worked with vendors that have literally started in farmers markets, right. Mm-hmm. So they've been, they've been able to have people sample in front of them and get that feedback. Um, it is the most important investment yeah. that you can make early on because you want to be able to understand how other people are understanding you. Yeah. Um, and, and it's
2: you really important that for that. founders. Yes. You know, it's yeah. really, I mean, I did, I I did hundreds of Whole Foods demos mm-hmm. and knowing, you know, n- n- people being like, what do I do with this was like confusing to me because it was so obvious that you squeeze it on mm-hmm. something, yeah. but that wasn't what they were asking. Right. They were asking like, how do I, how do I bring this into my life other than yeah. like, if I eat just a meeting steak? Um, And that's on us. And and I think a lot of times founders, you know, again, myself included, you know, obviously you put this on a grain bowl, you know, but like, that's (laughs) not how consumer behavior is. It's, it's, I mean, what have been a couple of other sort of, in your experience, like what surprised you either, you know, it, it can be negative. It can be positive just in general, like about, Consumers that maybe something you took for granted, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, that you definitely do not today.
3: I think just the overall need for transparency, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and I mean that in many forms. So, you know, I think the events over the pandemic and beyond, you know, have really brought to the forefront an expectation on behalf of customers that they understand what a brand's values are right. and that those those values have been clearly stated and That's everything from, you know, uh, at its most ambitious, how do you make sure that you're providing for an equitable workplace? And I think it's at the most pragmatic around, like, how are you talking about the ingredients Mm -hmm. that you have on your packages? And how are you being upfront about how you're approaching sourcing and how you're working with vendors. So I think that's just this notion that you have to have this ongoing dialogue with your customers and your employees um, is I think one of the most exciting things to, to hit uh, yeah. the, the customer facing world because it's just a great way to get closer to your customer. You've got to be willing to do the heavy work. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, I've always said this, because you, you, as you alluded to in my, in my introduction, I started in fashion and I think one of the things I really learned about that um, was never underestimate the customer's sophistication. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can think, oh, the customer's not ready for it. And I've always been impressed by how when presented intelligently and thoughtfully with great communication, like a customer will follow you. And I think um, that need to always be focused on what's delightful, what's interesting is another area that has just been compressed and accelerated in today's media universe.
2: Yeah. Okay. My final question about sort of marketing in general is that we find ourselves being quite reactive to all the opportunities kind of around us. And I'm sure other emerging brands have this too. That means anything from like, how does our product play into a trend that's on TikTok to someone has a great opportunity for, you know, partnership to, you know, and I think part of it, it feels, and we know that it's going to feel pretty intense for the next couple of years, but I think what we're trying to do internally is build some structure in like, okay, we know we're launching a new SKU in Whole Foods in April. How do we build a campaign around that? Like, how do we not kind of be all over the place responding and reacting, but how do we sort of say, okay, we know that new year, new you always Mm -hmm. happens in January. So Mm -hmm. what does that look like for Haven's Kitchen? What does it look like in social and email and, you know, SMS and, you know, all of our different, you know, all the different places where we live. And we're trying to kind of build some strategy or just some organization around all of that so that we're not always kind of flying by the seat of our pants you sure. know and so is there any best practices you have for you know even just thinking about breaking down a marketing calendar or you know any you know anything that you have sort of around experiences that way
3: yeah it's such a good question because pursuing an opportunity comes with a cost right whether it's in terms of the team's time and energy spent in pursuing it you've, you've got to make sure as I always say to the team you know is the effort worse that the calories expended is there going to be enough of an upside uh on the other end of it and with I marketing
2: think, sorry to interrupt you that's yeah. a little hard because yeah. it's not as measurable as it is with like sales right yeah. like am I building awareness I think so You know, like, is this this generating excitement? I hope so, you know.
3: No, for sure. And I think it really has to be grounded in what is the business strategy that is currently funneling or or driving your growth Mm -hmm. and how closely or, you know, how distantly is that particular opportunity connected to it? Right. I think if you're talking about doing something um, exclusive with an established retail partner and it's a way for you to get additional shelf space or attention that makes a lot of sense, right? Because you've already got a core customer. It's a chance for you to maybe drive more trial through that channel, mm-hmm. but simply, you know, jumping on, as you said, like a TikTok trend that um, it doesn't, it, it doesn't always mean that you're going to reap the rewards of, of sending your organization into a spin. Yeah. So I, I really, what we've done and and what I've done in the teams that I've led is really ground that desire to be connected to the now against where are you ultimately going in your brand and your growth trajectory and what is the strategy that you're pursuing and that can help you better assess whether or not it makes sense to do do these little things and and do something a bit
2: opportunistically yep okay that makes a lot of sense. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk all about Foxtrot, but also how emerging brands like ours can be successful there and what you're looking for. We'll be right back.
1: Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you My Family Recipe from Food 52. And Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these
3: incredible yeasty fumes, and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so
1: intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children, about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people
3: aren't, like, born with a download on how to, like, velvet chicken. You know, like, that's not something that just, like, comes to you.
1: Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm back with Carla Dunham, CMO of Foxtrot. Okay, so... I was talking with Matt Weiss from Wind, uh, Rind a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about all of these fast delivery apps. I don't need to name them; they're like there's a lot. I'm in New York City. There's like a new one every day, um, and it is definitely different from Foxtrot. You guys have brick and mortar spaces. You are, you know, food focused. It's not just sort of like, I need, you know, avocado and toilet paper in 15 minutes. Um, But did it start that way? And what's kind of been the evolution? And it feels like you are embracing the brick and mortar more over time a little bit. And I'm just kind of curious about the evolution.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, we did start actually as an app, uh, an on-demand uh, delivery service, and and we grew into stores. Um, and with that on-demand expression, at the, at the core of it was this idea that, it should be much easier to get great things, that there shouldn't be this kind of barrier to to finding the best local bakery, right? Or Mm -hmm. you should not have to go 30 minutes to to get your favorite chocolate chip cookie that should come to you in, in today's universe. And that desire of really making convenience better is definitely at the core of what we do. We are big believers in having a retail brick and mortar presence. Um, And there are a couple of reasons why one is that it's just a great way to connect with your customers Mm -hmm. uh, in person every day and for have, and to have them experience the brand fully as you intended. We often talk about our stores as being billboards for the brand. Yeah. Um, I
2: think of stores as being billboards for the brand.
3: Absolutely. And, and that extends really through all day parts, right? So like we're the place you go for a great cup of local coffee, first thing in the morning and local pastries, you come back midday for a snack or some of our cafe food and, maybe come back in the afternoon for, you know, a, a bag of our own potato chips. And in the evening we're, we're around for delivery. Right. I, I think that, you know, the reality is we were, we live in a world where customers have many different ways of interacting with, with retailers and and, and the, who are omnichannel um, throughout the day. And, mm-hmm we love this idea of being, as we've been increasingly calling it, being ubiquitous and kind of seamless in that, that we're really channel agnostic. Mm -hmm. Um, But we believe that our proximity and our intimacy with our customer, which is powered by our own app. So you can come into the store, you can um, order a pickup order through the app, you can order, get your coffee uh, ready for you. So you just kind of scoot Gotta in and scoot it out right um, and then that app also of course powers our on-demand delivery business that proximity and intimacy with our customers regardless of channel just gives us greater insight around what kind of products to be carrying, how to serve them better. And frankly, how to reward them for coming back and shopping with us both in store and online. And our stores are, are great acquisition channels. I mean, people come yeah, in for sure. They, they fall in love with us. If, if I'm being honest yeah. And, and then they're in the app and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're a, a perks customer. They're part of our loyalty program and they're getting delivery for free and, and it's sort of like well why not i sh- of course i should be shopping at fox first
2: right is there a difference between the in real life shopper and the app shopper you know i'm always thinking about this because like we were talking briefly you know w- with a snack with like a you know a late night snack or something you know a salsa or a hummus even, right? That like everyone kind of knows what it is. You know, you're having a few people over, you know, oh, I don't have hummus and I'll, I'll buy some grapes while I'm at it kind of thing. And you you do it on the app and that way you don't have to run out to the store or the bodega or whatever. With us, it's a little different because we you you end up having to spearfish us a little more. We're not in a category that's obvious. We don't come right up. You know, we've worked really hard for many years that fresh direct to sort of be at the top of the page when you type in sauce but that's not going to happen on on one of these apps nice. it's just nice. they're just too, people aren't buying us that way so you have to know that we're on this thing to go find us that said i think there's a lot of opportunities for you yeah. know 15 minute delivery 15 minute dinner you know where it if the app can put together a couple of meal options that use our chimichurri or whatever it is. But, you know, I think that's a little bit in the future. Um, But I'm just wondering, you know, whereas the in real life shopper for us, you know, they see this beautiful fresh sauce in a pouch. It's in the middle of, you know, all of these other kind of meh things. It's you know, that's a great experience for our shopper. Our package is different. The flavors are different. The product really shines through. Would would we be different? Like, would the experience of us be different for the shopper in-store versus the app shopper? Are they different in general? Do they want different things? Are they coming on, you know, with different needs? Is there a big overlap? Like, I guess, talk about the differences for you guys with the shoppers, and then maybe we can hone in a little bit on like how it, it would affect a product like ours.
3: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think there's there's the obvious difference in, in terms of what people are seeking, you know, when they come in first first thing in the morning and they like they're not getting coffee. coffee on the app. Yeah, right. that, that's a, that's a very <laughs> different transaction than, than right. somebody um, being at home and, and thinking, oh my goodness, what's for dinner? Right. I, um, what we have seen is that, our app um, skews really high with regards to newness and discovery mm. um, and a desire to be educated around the products that we're selling, whether it's a bottle of wine that our handpicked, mm-hmm. whether it's the latest um, pizza that's been flown in from Naples. They, mm-hmm. they want to hear the story behind it, and it does drive trial. Cool. But I should say that um, we have increasingly been looking at um, bringing that, that sense of discovery to both of our channels. So we've been playing in store around how we merchandise, for example, cheese and charcuterie and wine. You know, those are three categories that used to sit mm-hmm. apart, right? And now we're sort of bringing them together and, and telling stories around why this bottle of wine with this particular cheese and and, right. and seeing it as being this thing where our expertise can really help drive a decision both in-store and online. Which is so great because, you
2: know, we've been talking about, you know,
3: cross-merchandising is just
2: notoriously challenging Mm -hmm. and, you know, off-shelves. And, you know, you have a slot, you have a space. And, you know, what we always say to buyers is like, put our ginger miso next to salmon and tofu. And not only will we sell more ginger miso, we will sell more tofu you know, but that's like a whole thing. Like it's very hard for brick and mortar to do that. I understand it. It's labor, it's organization, it's a, it's a calendar. Whereas, you know, online on Fresh Direct, for instance, they literally do a picture of miso, Mm -hmm. a picture Mm -hmm. of tofu, and they show you a picture of dinner and you click buy and it adds all three to your cart and you get a recipe. You know, we were always kind of thinking like how to, how do brick and mortars take all of that amazing e-com, you know, juiciness and put it into stores because, yeah. it, because that will keep people going into, you know, brick and mortar locations if they feel like they're getting that from, you know, otherwise there's no reason really to go into a store, yeah. you know? yeah. So it sounds I, like you guys have figured out, you know, a sweet spot. We're,
3: we're definitely experimenting. I think we're, we're committed to driving discovery and a sense of storytelling in store. Um, and I think what's exciting is that there have been so many changes, you know, technology-wise that enable this to be um, powered more effectively, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of our, we see our approach to merchandising not only being unique in terms of what we carry in store, but also how we present it. Um, and, and we love to tell stories yeah. around the products.
2: How different are they from, you know, city to city? You know, how much are you learning about regional differences between, you know, what kind of pasta or like if people are, you know, more keto or whatever it is, you know, is the consumer sort of the same or there are you seeing really big regional differences in, in what they're
3: choosing? There are definitely regional regional differences, and I would argue even within regions there are store differences, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're just subtleties. And I think we um, assort our stores. About twenty percent of it is local, mm-hmm. um, so you can imagine just like what that means in terms of the best local pizza or local wine, local beer, local ice cream is a big category. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we have you know consciously made the decision to invest in that approach around merchandising. And then our store formats um, really give us this enhanced flexibility where, you know, if we know that that particular area skews more PM, you know, we can Mm -hmm. offer more local beers, if you will. So hyper-focused in investing and making the store a space that makes a lot of sense on the daily basis to our customers that are in the immediate area. And so in addition to
2: local, I guess, you know, what else are you looking for in the brands that you're choosing, you know, and, and is there, you know, I feel like, I feel like retailers right now are are very much torn between sort of margin and, you know, logistics and not having too many different things coming from too many different places because of supply chain issues, but everyone needs to have emerging brands and innovation and be sort of a place of discovery and excitement. And it's almost like, everyone's trying to figure out that the balance there and sailing that boat a little bit, like pulling in the sail, letting out the sail. So mm. it sounds like you are, um, again, finding a really nice sweet spot between sort of making really good business decisions because you have very, very con- like good data, but mm. also picking brands that have good stories and, you know, are doing something different. Um, so is there other stuff that you look for when you're when you're sort of out there selecting brands?
3: And I think I think you hit on the the the, the high marks, right? I think another way of saying it is our stores are not huge. Um, you know, we don't have 50,000 items. We have, you know, depending upon the store around 1200, 1500 items. Right. So every item that's in there really has to earn their stripes. Mm-hmm. And um, and with that, we we know that we have customers who come in and visit us, not just once a week, but once a day, Mm -hmm. sometimes several times a day, depending upon uh, where they might be in in their relationship with us. And we know that we have to really keep them abreast of what's happening, what's new, what's exciting. So we do really make an effort to continually test and learn um, so that new products are flowed in. Really frequently, and right. it just allows us to be not only seasonally relevant, but but ultimately on top of trends that have just grown on our shelves. Whether whether it be um, plant based snacks and an emphasis on plant based protein, or the non alcoholic category, those are those are areas that even a year ago were just emerging, and and now have have steadied themselves and become real drivers within our right. sport.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds really fun. My, my brain is, you know, I'm, I'm getting excited. Um, (laughs) you know, just because I think that there are, there are categories that are big and wide and are, are constantly, they have new players, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, ready to drink, right? Like there's, there's a lot of new beverage. There's, um, very limited space. It's, you've got to have sharp elbows. It's a little bit sink or swimmish. You know, you've got to have a lot of cash to, to yeah. make it work pretty quickly. Yeah. You need to get distribution pretty wide, pretty quickly, you know, and then there's sort of the, the snack category, which again is very, um, very busy, but has a lot of, you know, brand loyalty, I guess. We don't really have a category. And I, and I don't know that we even realized that when we, I know that I didn't realize that, you know, Mm -hmm. when, when I remember someone being like, well, who, what, who's the buyer in the store? Like, where does it go? I remember being like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) We'll figure (laughs) it out. Um, you know, and I always go back to hummus, which, you know, in 2009, there was no category for that either. There was no buyer. There was the consumer didn't know what it was, you know? retailers had no idea where to put it. And now there's, you know, a 10 or a 20 foot set in every store in America. So, you know, my, my bet is that sort of the meal, you know, the meal solution, the fresh convenience, you know, fresh sauce, things that make, make, you know, making dinner easier and more fun are gonna, are gonna be a thing. They're just gonna take a little time. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you guys are really thinking about the categories that are worth investing in. So my guess is that some of your, I guess I'm sort of answering my question a little bit, but in a way like the, you know, the numbers really need to make sense on the harder working sort of staples. And you can probably play a little bit more is my guess with mm. the emerging categories. Would you say?
3: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I would also say, you know, um, we're big believers in that the next great thing is still being developed. And what do I mm-hmm. mean by that? I think we're merchants. Um, you know, we are people who are obsessed with the, with the products that are on our shelves. Yeah. We want to be delighted as much as our customers are. We have this really absurd um, tasting process where like something before it gets on our shelf has to be tasted by, I think it's like four different people. (laughs) Um, And that sounds crazy, but it's all this notion of like, do we believe in the product? And I think that's where too, and I said this, I think at the beginning where if you're an emerging brand, it's so important to find a retailer who can also believe in you Mm -hmm. because we consider ourselves to have a really trusted relationship with our customer and we take it really seriously. Yep. Um, You know, we, we have the good fortune of being able to see a lot of different products and we care about the products that are on our shelves, but we also want to make sure that our customers feel like they're having a riskless shopping. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that they just know like, okay, if it's here in Foxtrot, it must be good. Yeah. Yeah. It must, there must be a reason that it's here. And, and I think for a category such as yours, where like that's so tied to customer behavior that is just emerging, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're just starting to eat that way. Um, yeah. And it hasn't been fully understood. And and I think that sometimes in more traditional retail environments, the delineations category, I'm, I, draw, I buy perishables or I mm-hmm. buy you know, mm-hmm. dry grocery, what have you, can be quite fixed. And, and we actually have... Um, a bit of a free range approach right. to how we look at new products.
2: Especially if you're thinking about merchandising differently, right? Like they're yeah. not incentivized, you know, the the meat buyer is a totally different buyer with a completely different, you know, incentive than yeah. the vegan plant-based dairy buyer. And yeah. that is actually a thing. Um, and so when we say like, you know, it would be great to have some chimichurri, yeah. In in your in your meat case, we'll sell flank steak for you if you want us to. Yeah. There's no, there's like very little communication that, that happens. I mean, yeah. we're we're sort of yet to see it, which is okay, because then you kind of have to find out, like, we're also merchandised quite often with the tofu. And great. So put our gingery miso next to the tofu and do a promotion and watch the magic that happens. Um, but it sounds like You guys are kind of creating this sort of like ultimate grocery store because you also have all of that e-com DNA, which is, you know, I think a lot of the grocery stores are trying to figure out that piece. Sure. But it's, you know, adding something on instead of it being built with it in, in its bones. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. And I think we have the good fortune too, that, you know, we're not just an e-commerce company, we're a tech company. And, And I think that's a really important piece to surface here too we've made real conscious decisions to invest in a best in ta- best in class engineering and technology team and they are just obsessed around what should the shopping experience for grocery mm-hmm. be like that's a really and, and it goes down to like i mean everybody's had this experience right? you want to go online you want to get a great bottle of wine you, you, what is the experience of actually finding that online that right. is the piece that's going to help you feel like oh i found the perfect bottle of of um, Pinot Noir versus, right. oh my goodness, I didn't know what I wanted to get. So I just got a bottle of Chianti, right? Those are very different levels of satisfaction. And
1: yeah.
3: and it's fully connected to what is the shopping experience. Right. And I think it's also connected to the
2: difference between you and the 15 minute folks, right? Because mm-hmm. the the person who's on there to get something in 15 minutes might not be trying to find the best bottle that pairs with the best cheese. They just want their wine now, you know, and it, it, it it's probably going to start to parse itself out at, you know, just the ecosystem, which I think is kind of interesting to watch is,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, why would someone go on this thing versus that thing? And, you know, who, how are they shopping a little bit differently? And, you know, it sounds like you're focused on something a little different, which is great for a brand like me um which leads me back to me um <laughs> so you said at the beginning that you know you share data with your brands yeah. and that you know that's by the way somewhat unusual which i i as a newcomer to this industry i'm like wouldn't they want us to know everything so we can just mm-hmm. like max out for yeah. them um but inevitably you know there are very few where you actually get basket size and what else is in the basket and what's the average You know, who are these consumers and what else are they, you know, interested in and how often do they shop? And all of that stuff is really helpful for brands because we can just keep improving ourselves. So I'm curious, you know, how you work with brands and like what kind of data, you know, what, and even if it's not Foxtrot, like what are the things that I should be asking retailers that can help me make it better for you?
3: Yeah, for sure. And I should say, this is a program that's just emerging for mm-hmm. us. Um, we've, we've kicked off a new um, vendor program where we're really charting the growth that's ahead for us as a company and working with vendor partners who will be part of that growth and kind of really approaching it is how do we grow together, right? right. Like we know that that we're on, on the cusp of really addressing uh, an emerging market of people who want fresh groceries, but don't want it to be a laborious, you know, week long mm-hmm. trip. Um but they also value quality. So mm-hmm. it's it's not just about a speedy delivery, it's about um, a quality delivery. Yeah, um, for sure. And I could say, you know, part of what we really want to focus on with our vendors is number one, how productive are they selling? How and where are they selling and how are they selling and what do we know about how that compares to our core customer? And what do we know about how that um how that connects to where we see the business growing. I think brands who want to grow with us really view that information as being something that enables them to get better with their own customer base and and customer base is our customer base. So let's, let's figure it out together. Yeah,
2: no. And it goes back to merchandising, which I think Mm -hmm. is, you know, where you and I have both been circling a little bit, which is interesting because I didn't actually know that that was the direction this was going to go in, but you know, we always say, if you just, if you put three of our skews on the shelf in the middle of the, you know, vegan cheese set, we'll do okay. If you put us next to what we actually are complimentary on, we will knock it out of the park. And not only that, but we'll also sell the other thing that you put next to us. And that is a hard nugget for... You know a grocery market you know category yeah. manager to to swallow, and you know we're coming at it from all different angles. We want to make it really, really easy with consumer education and cooking videos and like q r codes that take you directly to like the rest of the shopping list or whatever it is um, but if you i mean just. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, if you want my advice, mm-hmm. um Foxtrot with all your data and your you know best in class technology, yeah. like being able to take the ecom experience for a consumer who's gotten used to shopping across multiple categories and shopping by meal as opposed to shopping by like section of the store that's a huge opportunity, you know, for you, but also, again, for us. And that's what we're banking on. We're banking on, you know, people realizing that meal kits are really restrictive, they've got a lot of waste, they, you know, they don't encourage learning or creativity. And, you know, you put, you know, three proteins and three veggies and three sauces in sort of a set by itself crossing all different categories and all of a sudden you're going to have something really magical happen for the customer. But, you know, it's hard to get the stores there. Um, So it's fun to hear that that's something you guys are thinking about for sure.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to understanding your customer and right. how are they shopping you um, more psychographically more behaviorally um, and we have the good fortune to have a, a really strong customer insights team and and they are heads down um, focused on uncovering that and then sharing that insight back with our merchandising teams yeah
2: which is very very cool okay so we've talked about Foxtrot um, every brand that listens to this, not that brands listen, but every person from every brand who listens to this podcast will definitely be like, how do I get like, is there a place where brands can try to submit themselves for a review or, you know, to, to get to the place where maybe you would ask for samples? Is there like absolutely. a portal or? Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. Um, Just go to um, our website, go under contact us and you will see an email Literally called product inquiries at foxtrotco.com and we check it avidly. Awesome. Um, okay. Now that we've done Foxtrot, let's go
2: back to your 15 years <laughs> of experience. Yeah. Um, if you were, you know, building a new team at an emerging brand, let's say you can't hire anyone really, but, you know, right now there are, I can just even social alone, there are Hmm. three different Instagrams, there's TikTok, there's, you know, Facebook groups, there's, you know, YouTube, which I guess is arguably a search engine, but also sort of social to some extent, right? Like there's all of these, like all of these places for you to be. And my guess is that most of us in the early stages have figured out, you know, we're less TikTok, more Pinterest. Mm -hmm, Or, you mm -hmm. know, we're probably not going to, there's not going to be that much for us to talk about in Facebook groups, although it's a really interesting place to play. Like we're finding, we have like 1,500 members now in this Facebook group about cooking that I didn't even know was going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow it's got, it's like, there's like something there that's very meaty and interesting. Um, But how would you... You know, if you joined a team tomorrow and they had a product and they needed to figure out all of the questions that you started off with, you know, who are we? What's our story? Where are we telling it? Who cares? How would you start? You know, how would you
3: structure? Where would you even know to, to begin? I guess. Yeah, I. I mean, I think this is the question that so many small brands really wrestle with, um, and I think it. It has to go back to who is going to be your audience, um, because the, the platforms that you just ran through, each platform, I would argue, has a pretty different closely defined sweet spot with regards to um, their demographic. I think it's kind of like YouTube is a little bit different yeah. because it has such SEO implications and it's more about discovery and, and alignment. Yep. That's a long tail um, unless it's pa- um, paired with paid in a meaningful way. So I don't think it's necessary to be in all places. I think it's it's just necessary to be in the place where your core customer is most likely to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to hone in on what is the content that they're, that is resonating with them and continue to, to iterate on it while also making sure that you're putting out um, imagery and messages that are only unique to you, right? Mm-hmm. I think there can be this tendency to say like, oh, well, this got engagement. Let me go back and and do this again so I can get a, ga- a engagement again. But I think the brand's, as we've been talking about that, that, um, kind of have driven outsides results. And I would put Foxhart in that too, are brands that are just sort of like, yeah, we are who we are. And this is, this is our vibe and this is how we're engaging on this platform.
2: Yeah. 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 It is really, it's interesting. It's like, it all kind of goes back to that, knowing who you are and yeah. being able to verbalize that, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of times with small teams on emerging brands, it's like, we all know who we are, but if you asked us to sort of write those values down or like have, you know, clear sort of like identity statement of some yeah. sort, you know, and that's why, you know, the work that we did with the refresh was really important for us. You know, if mm. people listening haven't listened to the interview I did with Julian a few weeks ago and you don't need a whole team, a branding agency, et cetera, but you do need to ask yourself some fundamental questions. And I think Carla, your point is, what are those principles? Can you give me an example, maybe just of like, you know, how, what, how you would, what do you mean by a principle? Like if a principle turns into a guardrail for a brand, is that, you know we value creativity or we value you know entrepreneurship or or is it or is it broader than that or narrower than that
3: you know i think i think it's exactly what you're delineating it it's sort of the the value that informs your story and sometimes that value can be something that is somewhat abstract like we want to promote entrepreneurship, or we want to promote um, access to equal access to to healthy food, right? That's something that's Mm -hmm. a little bit more, um, it's less connected to how the brand might show up in its material state. Or it could be something that's about, hey, we really believe in design and creativity, and we're going to make sure that we carry that through in our packaging, we're going to make sure that right. we carry it through and how we might pursue collaborations or how we might think about how the brand appears. And those, even those very, those values can um, move and shift depending upon the scale of the business, right? And, and who your customer is. It may be at first outlay, like you may want to be focused on, Hey, we're going to really be focused on transparency and we're going to, communicate a lot of information about how our food is made and then as you start to mature that emphasis on transparency might grow into something where you you say hey we're not only going to be transparent about how we're sourcing our product we're also going to be invested in making sure that we're sourcing our product
0: in a Mm -hmm, way that's
3: enhancing the supply chain for everyone so i think those values can grow and ebb and and in the best organizations, you're you're continually evaluating them. I don't think there should be any moment where you feel, oh, you know, we've we've done that. Right. And no. and hands and say, oh, you know, that's done. I mean, I think the the, the reason I love brands so much, and I, I love the space that Foxtrot operates in, is like it's living, it's breathing, it's dynamic, it's in, mm-hmm. it's involved with culture. It it keeps you really, um, emphasizing innovation and, um, making sure that you're evolving just as your customers are.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's, I love it too. I mean, I supply chain stuff aside, um, you know, with, this is the most fun job. Mm. You might actually have the most fun job getting (laughs) to like, but I mean, I remember, you know, at my brick and mortar, I loved meeting different. We didn't you know, we didn't stock all that many mm. things, but it was really great seeing, you know, we were like one of the first places to have Oatly in New York. Mm. We were definitely yeah. one of the first places to have Sir Kensington's in 2012. Like mm. I mm. was one of the first people to have Rind because Matt had all of his, you know, meetings at the table in my cafe, yeah. you know, yeah. so, so great. or white mustache, even with mm. Homa, like there are just so many things that I look back on and you just know it like you know a good melon, you know, yeah. and there's like something to the brand and there's a real heart there. And I do think some of that's gotten a little lost in the D2C kind mm. of boom of the last couple of years. Like it's a little harder to wean out the real, like the the, the brands with real identity mm. and like soul versus some of the brands that just seem like they're another version of something in the zeitgeist. Um, But, you know, maybe that's just me. I'm such a, I'm like such a Luddite, you know, I love (laughs) brick and mortar. Um, So last bit, you know, advice you would give to emerging brands, whether it's, you know, trying to get into Foxtrots or just in general with your marketing hat on you know, you've been at this for a while, you have a really nice 30,000 foot view of the ecosystem. You know, what, what would you tell us that you'd like all of us to know?
3: Well, I think it's everything that we said about, you know, storytelling and um, who you're telling that to and, and, and the values on which that story is based. But I think, Another piece of it, and I'm always impressed when I see this in in emerging or new entrepreneurs, is just demonstrated knowledge of the space. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? I think it's both, you know, knowledge of the space that we as Foxtrot and right? So, like, what's happening in our retail stores? Like, how much do you know what's going on? And mm-hmm. you know, have you Good have research. you shopped our store? Do you have a mm-hmm. point of view on our store? And then I think more broadly, like, what is your perspective on the category that your product? lives in. Yep. And, you know, we've talked, everything I think we've said has been about like honing in on yourself and 100% that's necessary, but you want to be able to situate yourself within a broader context. Right. Yep. And I think the most successful entrepreneurs who I've spoken to really have a perspective, not only on their product, but why their product matters in the ecosystem yep. that they want to put it
2: in. Yeah. No, I think that's a really... I always go back to that sailing analogy, you know, I think I, I mean, I am somewhat loath to quote Jeff Bezos, but (laughs) I do believe that years and years ago, he said like something about like, you got to keep looking down and you got to get, you know, you got to be heads down, heads down, heads down, build the best thing you can. But you also have to look around sometimes because, you know, I've said this on this show a lot. Yeah. Everyone thinks that their cookie is the best.
1: Mm-hmm. We
2: wouldn't be doing this job if we didn't think that what we were putting into the world was of the course. best because it is yeah. too freaking hard. <laughs> yeah. But your cookie might be the best. But if it is 10 times more expensive than every other cookie, it probably isn't going to work on a grocery yeah. shelf. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that's really great advice, you know, heads down, but also like know who else is around. And for sure, I mean, you know, we had buyers on here from like Kroger and from Whole Foods, my old Target buyers coming on in a couple of weeks, every one of them will say, you can't go into these things thinking like you're, you're doing something no one's ever done ever, right? Like you do have to know even if you don't think you have quote unquote competition, which honestly I don't see that we Mm. have like real competition. You do have to know who you're next to on the shelf and kind of have an idea of how, how they're doing. If you're going to be taking someone's space, you know, you kind of need to know who else is in the space. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that broader ecosystem of what's going on, you know, with the consumer and what's going on, the way that people are shopping and eating and cooking mm-hmm. today, because um, it's very different than it was two years ago. I know? totally agree. yeah this is amazing. Carla, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. It was you know really fun meeting you a few months ago, and I've been looking forward to having you on the show. and I'm sure um, my listeners will be really, really psyched to hear everything. you had to say so thank you so much thank you so
3: much Allison thank you for the opportunity and just so fun to step back a little bit and talk about everything that's going on in this are you coming to New York soon I will be in New York really soon I mean is Foxtrot um, (laughs) Foxtrot. Um, we have every intent in being there as soon as we can okay
2: everyone who wants to meet Carla personally (laughs) this is her cell phone number no I'm kidding um Yeah. Well, I'll see you for sure when you come back and, you know, thank you so much again, Armin, as always, thank you for your engineering skills and um, kind demeanor when, you know, inevitably I am late on doing something. And um, for all of you listeners, you know, as always, um, this is really just such a fun part of my job and I'm glad to hear that it's helping and, Again keep sending me ideas of what will help you build your business and you know any 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 brands that you think are doing a really good job or you know people in the industry who can be helpful um, I really appreciate all of the suggestions and I know I keep I, a lot of you sorry I it, this show is actually booked up through March um, but you know I do read every single DM and every single email. So um, thank you again. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org.